Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, let's get into this passage. Uh, before we start, let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would be teaching us and shaping our hearts and changing us that we uh, might see you more clearly and that we might live for you uh, as you would want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. When it comes to fitness, uh, I have a policy, and that policy is if I'm going to be doing any exercise, it's got to be fun. Uh, So recently, I bought a mountain bike in the pursuit of fun exercise. Uh, I had it all laid out in my head. Uh, I thought, I'll buy a bike, and in a matter of uh, time, no, well, no time really, I'd be whipping through the back trails of Narang uh, at high speeds, uh, flying over jumps, uh, carving around corners, navigating through trees, uh, shredding like a pro. Uh, first time I take the bike out is the play-by-play. I'm riding into the, the bush. My expectations are high. I've picked a trail to, to ride on. Uh, I've, I've chosen one that's of medium difficulty because uh, there's beginner tracks, but I'm not a beginner. Uh, and so I start riding along this track that I've chosen. It's got, it starts with a really long uh, hill climb. Uh, I start riding along this hill climb. I realise I've forgotten water, but I'll be okay. I start to think, this is hard work. Better use the easier gears. Start using the easier gears. It's still hard. I, uh, I find some parts of the climb are steeper than others. I'm getting really puffed, but I don't need to stop. Uh, I'm a medium-skilled rider on a medium-skilled track. Uh, it's 7am. Didn't eat breakfast. Probably should have eaten breakfast. When will this uphill climb end, I'm thinking? I'm starting to feel a bit funny. I get to the top of the climb and I realise something really important. I realise I'm actually a beginner. I'm a beginner. I'm not a medium-level rider at all. In fact, I end up getting off my bike and just taking a lie down in the middle of the Narang bush because I pushed myself too hard and I was feeling a bit faint. For some reason, I thought I was good enough to ride on a track designed for established intermediate-level riders when in fact, much to my shame, I'm a weak, unfit, cardio-deprived beginner who ended up in an absolute mess of himself uh, going for something that was just out of my reach. Uh, For us, when it comes to our failings and our weaknesses before God, the truth is that God is out of reach for us too. Uh, Though we might think we're good enough for God, though we might uh, think we can do all the right things, relationship with God because of his perfect holiness is simply unattainable for us. Uh, We're unfit to live in unity with God. And so it begs a question for us, in our sin, in our weaknesses and in our failings, can we ever have relationship with God? Well, this passage that we're looking at today helps us to find that answer by uh, comparing the old covenant and the new covenant. And so firstly, we're going to zoom uh, into the Old Covenant, and specifically, we're going to look at the weakness of the old. Uh, you might have read, uh, noticed as we read, there seemed to be a problem with the first, uh, the Old uh, Covenant. Have a look in verse 7. 
It says, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. The author of Hebrews notes in chapter 8 that there's something wrong with the first covenant. There was a weakness in the old covenant. And he continues in verse 8 and 9 as he quotes Jeremiah, uh, the promise that there would be a new covenant and we also see the failings of the old covenant. Have a look in verse 8. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the old uh, the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So what was wrong with the old covenant? Well, the people. The people were unfaithful to God. See, a covenant is uh, an agreement. It's an agreement between two parties. Uh, a good example of a covenant, and a covenant that we see um, uses an example in the Bible, is, is marriage, right? It's two people coming together and agreeing to each other and before God to be faithful to each other. God had made uh, a covenant agreement of faithfulness between himself and Israel. Israel. And the Israelites were unfaithful. See, early on in the story of history, God had promised Abraham that his family would become a great nation. This nation, Israel, would be blessed and be a blessing to all nations. Now, through unfortunate circumstances, the Israelites became slaves in Egypt. They were forced into harsh labor by the Egyptians and uh, the, the Egyptians were intent on the Israelites being oppressed and even killed. The Israelites cried out to God for help and though it seemed impossible for them to ever be saved, God rescued them. He took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, saving them from slavery. God showed faithfulness to the Israelites because he was intent of keeping that promise of blessing to the nation of Israel. So after saving the people of Israel from Egypt, God gave the people the law, not only showing them how to best live, but also showing them a way of displaying faithfulness to God. This was the covenant. God was faithful by saving his people and the people would uh, be faithful uh, by continuing to be obedient. God was going to continue his faithfulness by leading them toward blessing and they would continue to be faithful through obedience. But though God was faithful to his people again and again, the unfaithfulness of the people was proven again and again through golden calves, grumbling when failing to trust in God's faithfulness, trusting the help of other nations rather than God himself, worshipping other gods and idols. The the Israelites showed again and again they just couldn't be faithful to God. It was too hard. The condition of sin in the human heart just couldn't be beaten by human will. And God says this about the Israelites in, in Jeremiah 7, 23. He says, well, I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. 
from the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent my servants the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. The fault of the old covenant was human sin, unfaithfulness to their faithful and good God. Humans needed to be faithful to God, but it was impossible for them to do. And so God spoke at the time of Jeremiah to Israel and Judah, uh, and, and at this time they were living in sin, and they were facing the consequences of unfaithfulness. God turned away from them because of their sin, and they were in exile, sent away from the land and the blessings that he had given them. The story of the Old Covenant tells us of our failings. Our sin means that slipping out of a relationship with God is the consequence of unfaithfulness to God. The quote that we might hear people say, oh, I'm not good enough for God, or I'm too sinful for God. It's kind of true, isn't it? If you believe that you're good enough for God, the truth is you're not. I'm not. No one can be good enough for God. I don't know if you know much about Taylor Swift, but uh, she's a pop artist. She's been around for, I don't know, 15 years now. And the kind of ongoing theme of Taylor is she's been in many relationships. She's dated many guys. So, you know, I did some Googling on some gossipy kind of forums. She's dated all these guys. And the funny thing is, is that throughout her music career, she's blamed them for all her failed relationships. It's, it's always been the other guy, right? It's always been the other guy. Until recently, uh, she, she just released a, a new album and in one of her most popular songs, she comes to this realisation. If you watch the video clip, she's looking in a mirror and she goes, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. And it's so funny, if you've been following her for all these years, after blaming all these people, she's finally come to the realisation, actually, maybe I'm the problem. At first thought, we might think that the old covenant is failures is God's fault. But dig deeper and we see that the problem actually lies in humanity. I think for us, we've got to come to this realisation. In our relationship with God, in our unfaithfulness, in our sin, in our rejection of God, it leaves us in a broken relationship with him. We're the problem. But there's good news. The writer of the Hebrews doesn't just talk about the failings of the Old Covenant, the failings of humanity, but rather, the right actually highlights the hope and goodness of the New Covenant, the better covenant compared with the Old. And so we see in this passage uh, the strength of the New Covenant. To best see how this works, let's have a look at uh, verse 1. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. These verses are an extension of what we heard Uh, Last week, Jesus is the better priest. He is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And unlike 
the priests of the Old Covenant who needed to make sacrifices day after day again and again for not only their sins but the sins of the people. Jesus, the the king priest, what we learnt last week, uh, isn't comparable to the earthly priest in this way. Hence why the writer says if he were here on earth he would not be a priest. But he does have something to offer like the priests. But what he offers is himself. He offers himself as a sacrifice. And the sacrifice he offers isn't a sacrifice that needs to be made again and again, but it's a one-off sacrifice. He is the Holy Son of God. From the very beginning of the Bible, we read that the consequences for sin uh, is death. But God showed people grace by allowing them to continue to live. And in the law, God actually gives them the sacrificial system so that instead of people dying, they would offer up their best animal to be sacrificed on their behalf. Uh, I think often with the sacrificial system, it's easy to think that they would have uh, you know, killed that cow that was down in the back paddock that they didn't really care about. Um, my friends, they had a, a big plot of land and they had a cow that you'd never see. It was like down in their back paddock and when it came to eating it, it was delicious. But we couldn't quite, you know, it didn't feel, there wasn't that connection, right? Because it was the cow in the back paddock that no one cared about. But I think for the Israelites, you know, their food was always really close to them. They didn't have big plots of land like we might have here in Australia. It would have lived close to them. Uh, They would have had kind of connection with their animals. And uh, they were really important. Uh, And they were to take their most prized animal, their most precious animal, Uh, and place their hand on its head as it was slaughtered. I think that would have been really hard. It would have been a a really genuine sacrifice. But the blood of uh, and death of animals, it just couldn't cover for the sin of humans. And so this sacrificial system was only a, a shadow of what was coming in Jesus. To truly pay for sin, God gave up his most prized possession his one and only son and we put our guilt and shame uh, for our sin on the son of God a man who was perfect a man who was kind who cared about the oppressed who cared for the weak the sick and the vulnerable a man who was humble meek gentle compassionate and he was killed for us Because he is all of those things. He is kind, humble, gentle, compassionate. He cares about us. Jesus, the priest of the new covenant, is better. But more than that, Jesus serves as the high priest of the sanctuary of God. Uh, Jesus serves in the very place that God dwells. The sanctuary that we've read about in the Bible, uh, God's dwelling place in, in the tents and then in the temple, what the Israelites saw was a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Have a look at verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary, that's they, the, the priests, serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Jesus serves in the actual sanctuary in heaven. 
His ministry is better than the ministry that was played out in the tent and in the temple. Priests mediated on behalf of the people in a setup that was just a shadow of what is in heaven. A temporary sanctuary was what they served in. It was pointed to what was to come in Jesus. But Jesus, he mediates in the full presence of God in heaven at his right hand. And in Jesus' mediating role, he stands on behalf of those who are in him. Jesus himself, in all that he is and all he has done, is our very connection to God. He is the, the, the thing that we need to be in relationship with God. He is our connection to the creator of heaven and earth, if we trust in him. So Jesus as our mediator in the true sanctuary is what makes the new covenant better. And this is how we see the rest of that Jeremiah quote uh, fulfilled. While the Jeremiah quote highlights humanity's failings in the old covenant, from verse 10 we learn about the better promises of the new covenant. Have a look. Verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds, I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I'll forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The strength of the new covenant is that God is going to cover for the failings of humanity. Israel needed to constantly remember to follow the Lord. They needed constant reminder from each other. Know the Lord. Uh, This isn't talking about evangelism. You might think, what? We shouldn't tell each other to know the Lord. Uh, But this is actually Israelites reminding Israelites uh, to be faithful, which even then they failed. Here, the author of Hebrews pulls out this great promise that God gave his people in the book of Jeremiah to say, now in in the new covenant, we won't need reminders. In the new covenant, our hearts are going to be changed by God himself. How is that possible? Well, it's possible through our high priest and mediator, Jesus. Because of Jesus offering his own body and blood before the Lord, we saw this last week, all sin can be covered. The sacrifice of the perfect and holy Son of God means that the sin and unfaithfulness of people can be forgiven. Take a look at verse 12 again. Have a look. It says this, I will forgive their wickedness, and remember their sins no more. I don't know about you, but when someone sins against me, uh, and it's my turn to forgive, I'm susceptible to hanging on to it. Uh, Even after forgiveness, you know, if someone's really hurt me or seriously sinned against me, uh, it can affect our relationship. We're not perfect like God is. I think we can't underestimate how good that that verse is, what we learn from it. Here, because of the work of our Lord Jesus, God forgets our sin. It's like our unfaithfulness was never there. Because of Jesus, our, our sin, our problem is completely washed away. It's gone. While the sin and unfaithfulness of people was the very thing that hindered relationship with uh, God in the Old Covenant... God himself, in the person of Jesus, came and fixed the problem of humanity by wiping away the sin of anyone who trusts in him. And so now we have unhindered relationship with God. 
more than our sin being washed away as well, God actually works in us to remember the Lord. He works in us to live how he wants us to live through the work of Jesus, through the work of the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know how up to date you are with your uh, laws in the Old Testament, but there's some funny laws. I don't know how uh, familiar you are with some of these funny laws. Here's a few. Uh, Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two types of seed. If you look in my veggie patch, there's two types. There's more than two types and many weeds. Do not wear clothing woven with two kinds of material. I'm sure this is made with cotton and polyester probably. But these were to be everyday reminders, physical reminders for the Israelites to remember God, to remember that they were people of one God, not God and another God and other nations trusting in other things, but they were to be remembered to be faithful to one God. But in Christ, the law is put on our hearts. We don't need these reminders because the Spirit, God himself, is working in us to remember him and to be obedient to him. So God not only removes our sin, but he moves us forward into obedience by putting the law in our hearts and minds. Through the work of Jesus, we're actually moved and prompted and convicted to say no to sin and actually step forward into obedience to him. So God not only has fixed the problem of our unfaithfulness and our unfaithful actions, but he actually continues to work in us to remember him and to be obedient to him by his spirit so that we can be faithful. Have you tried the old, obsolete, outdated way? Have you tried to be perfectly obedient and failed? Do you feel crushed by sin, unable to escape it? Are you in despair? Well, a comparison of the old and new uh, covenant is good news for you. While the fault of the old covenant was in humanity, through Jesus, the new covenant makes up for where humanity fell short. To fix the weaknesses and failings of ourselves can't be found within us, but only in the Lord Jesus. Through him, our failings are forgotten. In him, we have help to move forward from sin into obedience. We're actually equipped to please him as the Spirit of Christ works in us. There's no need to hold on to the weight and burden of our sin any longer. As we follow Jesus, we can walk alongside him and serve him confidently, knowing that he is at work in us, shaping our hearts so that we can truly please him in our obedience to him. And we follow him knowing his grace, knowing that when we slip up in our obedience, we're fully forgiven. And so here's the invitation. It's to come to Jesus. If you want relationship with God, it's simple. We can't do it ourselves but we need to actually come to Jesus. And that's a truth that if you've never heard this before, that's something you need to know. But if we're being Christians for a long time, we can still be tempted to slip back into that old thinking where our, our good things is what earns us favour with God. But no, come to Jesus. He is all we need. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that we are exactly like the Israelites without your help. Sinners unable to change. But we praise you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for covering for our failings. Lord, continue to work in us that we might obey you and live for you and please you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.